Uh, Mark Levin, our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. I asked about a month ago, when Russia started this war and invaded Ukraine, is Ukraine allowed to win? Or even to stalemate the situation? And apparently not. I would argue yes, but apparently not. It's one of the reasons they can't get the MiG-29s that they want. There's a recent poll out that he hot off the presses by Fox. By 63% to 32%, Americans want the United States to do more. So this, this argument that it's the Washington war machine or Washington defense contract. Or the neocons is a lie. Is a lie. Unless you think 63% of the American people fall in that category, and clearly they don't. Despite the best efforts of the Putin wing of the Democrat, Republican parties, and the media. By 76 to 19%, the American people approve of President Zelensky's actions in Ukraine. I'd say that's pretty overwhelming. And whether or not this has a national security interest in the United States, 85 to 14%, 85% say yes. Now to get 63% of the American people, 76% of the American people, and ultimately 85% of the American people to agree on something is a big deal. I'm going to get to the Supreme Court. Don't worry. I was all over it yesterday. I'm going to be all over it today, but I want to finish this. We now hear the media regurgitating the Russian propaganda, which is if Putin doesn't make more headway in Russia, you know, it's not enough to be slaughtering the people in Maripol and now capturing aid workers. Fifteen of them have been uh, kidnapped or sending 2,400 Ukrainian children into Russia, and God knows what else. If Putin fears he's going to lose, the argument goes, he may resort to nukes. Isn't that more of a reason to support efforts to take him out? I don't understand this. I really don't. This will be the first war in human history. With the greatest war criminal of war criminals in this particular war, for sure, who's threatening nuclear weapons against people, perhaps NATO, perhaps even us, is immune from the war in the sense that that individual is not to be targeted, even by surrogates, even by surrogates of Ukraine. While he targets the president of Ukraine and has failed on several occasions with the Wagner Group and the Chechnyans, even while he's known to be an assassin, not just a character assassin, a real assassin. Scores of reporters, political opponents, people who fall out of favor, they just wind up dead wherever they are in the world. One guy did in the hotel room in Washington, D.C., in London, in Germany, and so forth. And so 
when I hear this, I say more the reason to support at least quietly efforts to take out Putin. If he's threatening nuclear weapons, if he's a war criminal, which clearly he is, if he's slaughtering thousands of innocent people, and if you believe, as I do, and the vast majority of the American people do, that this battle in Ukraine clearly relates to the United States and our national security, China's watching, Iran's watching, North Korea's watching, uh, the Eastern European countries are well aware of what Russia is capable of. Well, then it makes sense, doesn't it? Makes a lot of sense. Um, I guess I'm going to have to find this. I'm trying to find it, but I cannot. I do notice that the Putin wing of the media has been relatively quiet about a gentleman by the name of Alexei Navalny. You heard me talk about this man yesterday, Alexei Navalny. Alexei Navalny is the leader of the opposition, most effective leader. He also has run a group questioning the corruption that exists in uh, in Russia. And yesterday he was given a nine and a half year sentence on top of two years that he's already served. And they're now afraid that he might be assassinated while in a Russian prison. Why is it that so few outlets have even reported on this? I notice this. I'm watching this. And I'm, I'm really quite shocked by this. Why is that? Why is it that so few so-called conservatives and conservative outlets have reported on this? Uh, because I, I want to address this again. There is a difference, ladies and gentlemen, there is a difference between people who have sort of a romantic, pacifist, anti-war mentality And I think they're very dangerous. But I'm just saying there's a difference between that where people may have, from their perspective, a legitimate argument that this is an America's war, as they say it. And yet people who effectively use, in more ways than one, Putin's talking points and the talking points of the surrogates in the United States and lie about Zelensky, and lie about the Ukrainian people. The Ukrainian people are not Nazis. The president of Ukraine is Jewish. His wife's Jewish. His kids are Jewish. The family's Jewish. You can try and tie in this neo-Nazi group as one of these sort of so-called independent journalist nincompoops does. And say, look at this, the government is linked to this group. The government is not promoting the group. I mean, they sound like the left in this country trying to link conservatives to the neo-Nazis and the Klansmen and white nationalists and all the rest. Because maybe they see a Confederate flag, or maybe they hear somebody use the N-word, or maybe they hear somebody who's an anti-Semite. And this is amazing coming from the media who gives the real anti-Semites in this country, like Omar, AOC, 
Talib, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, in the Democrat Party and many in the media, a pass. Like the New York Times gets a pass. Despite its long history of anti-Semitism. The Democrat Party gets a pass despite its long history of racism, segregation, even slavery. They get a pass. But this guy who was jailed by Putin gets almost no attention in this country. Why is that? And then NATO is attacked when NATO decides they're going to move more troops to the eastern front of eastern Europe, which borders Ukraine. I I don't understand. NATO is a military alliance. Why wouldn't they move more troops to to the eastern front where the threats exist? This is bizarre. People want to know how many troops and what kind of planes. and what's. You're not going to get tactical information from our government or from NATO. Why would you? Why would you? So, of course, they're going to move military forces where military forces may need to exist. So I know you, the vast majority of you in this audience, we all agree. Our view is quite a traditional view. It's a Reaganite view. It's even a Trump view. And I think that's why 63% of the American people, according to Fox, want the American people to do more, or not just the American people, let me correct that, want the nations of the world to do more in terms of assisting the Ukrainians. I'm not talking about troops or no-fly zones. Why 76% approve of Zelensky and what he's doing, despite the best efforts of Russia and Russia mouthpieces, and 85% believe that Ukraine does matter to the U.S. and our national security versus 14%. So if you listen to the media, depending what you listen to, radio, TV, what you read, you would never believe it's 85 to 14. You'd believe it's 85 to 14 against, but it's not. So are all Americans warmongers? Are all Americans neocons? Are all Americans part of the military-industrial complex trying to profit from this? No, I don't think so. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. American Greatness website is a really an outstanding site, and it is aligned in most ways, if not every way, with uh, President Trump and his policies. And there's an article there today by Paul Gottfried, Paleos and Putin. As a card-carrying member of the old right for the last 50 years, having suffered the slings and indignities that come with it, I'm responding to other members of my fraternity who can't bring themselves to condemn Vladimir Putin for his invasion of Ukraine and his destruction of its people. This recognition of Putin's aggression and what it might portend for Ukraine's neighborhoods to the West has not been lost on Europeans, including Europeans on the right. Marine Le, Le, Le Pen and Eric Zemmour in France, the alternative Fjord Deutschland in Germany, 
and the present conservative governments of Hungary and Poland, these are all governments and so forth of the right, have all been on record condemning Putin's brutal invasion. None of these figures is in love with wokeness or his kind words for what now passes for constitutional government in the West. But they do understand that Putin is a Russian expansionist and that the murder and mayhem he's now raining down on Ukrainians is nothing due. <coughs> Excuse me. Is nothing new. He unleashed even worse atrocities in Chechnya and later in Syria. The attempts to defend Putin's actions in Ukraine proceed from two unshakable beliefs among his defenders on the traditional American right. The more grandiose explanation is that Putin is the upholder of Western conservative values, who is courageously battling LGBTQ plus enthusiasts in his country. He's also said to be fighting back rhetorically against attacks on the family coming from one-time constitutional democracy that have fallen into the bands of woke totalitarians. Putin is also supposedly a man of faith who devotes his energies to defending the orthodox state religion and who is opening up monasteries and rebuilding churches in his country. We therefore cannot criticize him without endangering his sacred mission. If he's smashing Ukrainian cities, well, that's the price we pay for all the good he's doing. I've also been hearing from acquaintances that Ukrainians do not really constitute a nation, but are ethnic Russians, or mischievously denying their identity. The Kiev Rus settlement, we talked about this yesterday, that took place in the 10th century and was carried out by Scandinavians, was supposedly the starting point for the Russian national adventure. And so-called Ukrainian is just another name for Russians who happen to be living in the area in which the Russian state originally took form. In any case, Ukrainian leader Vladimir Zelensky is supposedly just a corrupt, lowbrow comic who was built up by the U.S. government against his godly Russian counterpart. You've heard this on radio and TV. The second reason for the, this rallying to Putin is that he is not responsible for his aggression. The U.S. State Department and scheming neoconservatives have created the present tensions between the Russians and Ukrainians. This happens to be partially true if we recount the U.S. government's involvement in the overthrow of a pro-Russian government in Kiev in February 2014 and Joe Biden's recent hints to the Ukrainians about his fitness for NATO membership. Neoconservatives have incited hatred against Putin as an anti-democratic leader and have been confusing statecraft with ideological wars for decades. I'd be the last person to defend these fanatical warmongers, and having suffered professionally at their hand, I have no reason to like them. But it was Putin not the neocons, who invaded Ukraine, and Russian military forces, not Victoria Nuland at the State Department of the Wall Street Journal editorial page, who are murdering Ukrainian civilians. I keep telling friends on the right who want to stress those other circumstances, so-called, leading to Putin's invasion, that by all means, let's discuss them. But we should preface that discussion by blaming Putin and his military for the havoc they have wrought. They have behaved outrageously no matter how defective American foreign policy has been and no matter how repugnant neoconservative rhetoric may sound. Looking at babies killed and maimed in the streets of Kharkov and Maripol, it seems to me that the blame should be ascribed to someone more immediately responsible than blundering U.S. foreign policy mavens or rabid neoconservative journalists. Without belaboring historical parallels, I can't help noticing the similarities, he writes, between Putin's attack on the Ukrainians, who are certainly fighting like a nation, and Hitler's invasion of Poland in September 1939. In both cases, historians could cite abuses that the invaded countries committed against members of the nations who were invading them. And he says in Poland in particular with the, uh, with the Germans, 
but a brutal invasion and occupation characterized by the devastation of civilian populations. That's a whole nother story. Members of the old right who have told me repeatedly that Abraham Lincoln was wrong to invade the seceded South and that Ukrainians have been sorely oppressed under Russian rule have undergone a staggering sea change. Mark Levin, the research arm of conservative media. Call in now, 877-381-3811. All right. So NATO's approving more troops for the eastern flank, as it should. Certainly in my opinion. Ukraine's Air Force. How is it that this Air Force, which is actually quite small, is doing so well against the the heavily, heavily armed Russian, heavily outnumbered. Well, there's a piece here in the New York Times. Each night, Ukrainian pilots, like Andrew Lee Loiter, in an undisclosed aircraft hangar, waiting, waiting, waiting until the tension is broken with a shouted one-word command, air. Ari hustles into his Su-27 supersonic jet and hastily taxis toward the runway, getting airborne as quickly as possible. Takes off so fast he doesn't yet know his mission for the night. But the big picture is always the same, to bring the fight to the Russian Air Force as a virt- that is vastly superior in numbers but has so far failed to win control of the skies above Ukraine. I don't do any checks, he said. A Ukrainian Air Force pilot, who on a condition of granting an interview, was not permitted to give his surname or rank. I just take off. Nearly a month into the fighting, one of the biggest surprises of the war in Ukraine is Russia's failure to defeat the Ukrainian Air Force. Military analysts had expected Russian forces to quickly destroy or paralyze Ukraine's air defenses and military aircraft, yet neither has happened. Instead, Top Gun-style air Aerial dogfights, rare in modern warfare, are now raging over the country. Every time when I fly, it's for a real fight, said the pilot, Andre, who's 25 and has flown 10 missions in the war. Every fight with the Russian jets, there's no equality. They always have five times more planes in the air. Now you know why they're begging for those MiGs. The success of Ukrainian pilots has helped protect Ukrainian soldiers on the ground and prevented wider bombing in cities, since pilots have intercepted some Russian cruise missiles. Ukrainian officials also say the country's military shot down 97 fixed-wing Russian aircraft. That number could not be verified, but the crumbled remnants of Russian jet fighters have crashed into rivers, fields, and houses. The Ukrainian Air Force is operating near total secrecy. Its fighter jets can fly from airstrips in western Ukraine, airports that have been bombed yet retain enough runway for takeoffs or landings. Even from highways, analysts say. They're vastly outnumbered. Russia is believed to fly some 200 sorties per day, while Ukraine flies 5 to 10. Ukraine pilots do have one advantage. In most of the country, Russian planes fly over territory controlled by the Ukrainian military which can move anti-aircraft missiles to harass and even shoot down planes. Ukraine has been effective in the sky because we operate on our own land. Yuri Inhadi, spokesman for the Ukrainian Air Force, said the enemy flying into our airspace is flying into the zone of our air defense systems. He described the strategy as luring Russian planes into their defensive traps. 
Dave DePatula, Dean of the Mitchell Institute for Aerospace Studies and the principal attack planner for the Desert Storm Air Campaign in Iraq, said the impressive performance of Ukrainian pilots had helped counter their disadvantages in numbers. He said, Ukraine now has roughly 55 operational fighter jets, a number that is dwindling from shootdowns and mechanical failures as Ukraine pilots are stressing them to max performance. My God, if they don't get these additional MiGs, I don't know what they're going to do. Ukraine's President Zelensky has appealed repeatedly to Western governments to replenish the Ukrainian Air Force and has asked NATO to enforce a no-fly zone over the country, a step Western leaders, of course, refuse to take. Russia troops have already fired nearly 1,000 missiles at Ukraine, countless bombs, Mr. Zelensky said into a video. Our government says now it's 1,100. Pilotless drones are also a tool in the Ukrainian military's arsenal, but not in the battle for control of the airspace. Ukraine flies Turkish-made armed drone, the Barakhartar TB-2, a plodding propeller aircraft that is lethally effective in destroying tanks or artillery pieces on the ground, but cannot hit targets in the air. If Ukraine's air defenses fail, Russian jets could easily pick them off. As in other aspects of Ukraine's war effort, volunteers play a role in the air battles. A volunteer network watches and listens to Russian jets, calling in coordinates and estimated speed and altitude. Other private Ukrainian pilots have removed up-to-date civilian navigation equipment from their planes and have handed it over to the Air Force in case it can be helpful. Air-to-air combat has been rare in modern war, with only isolated examples in recent decades. U.S. pilots, for example, have not flown extensive aerial dogfight since the first Iraq war in 1991. Since then, U.S. fighter jets have engaged in air-to-air combat on just a few occasions, shooting down 10 planes in the Balkan Wars, one plane in Syria, according to Mr. Deptula. In the night sky, Andrelia, this is the Ukrainian pilot, said he relies on instruments to discern the positions of enemy planes, which he says are always present. He shot down Russian jets, but was not permitted to say how many or which type. He said his targeting system can fire at planes a few dozen miles away. I mostly have tests of hitting airborne targets, of intercepting enemy jets. He said, I wait for the missile to lock on my target, and then I press fire. When he shoots down a Russian jet, he said, I'm happy that this plane will no longer bomb my peaceful towns. And as we see in practice, that is exactly what Russian jets are doing. Most of the aerial combat in Ukraine has been nocturnal as Russian aircraft attack in the dark when they are less vulnerable to air defenses. In the dogfights over Ukraine, Artily said the Russians have been flying an array of modern Sukhoi jets, such as the Su-30, Su-34, and Su-35. He said, I had situations when I was approaching a Russian jet to close enough distance to target and fire, he said. I could already detect it, but was waiting for my missile to lock on while at the same time from the ground, they tell me that a missile was fired at me already. He said he maneuvered his jet through a series of extreme banks, dives, and climbs in order to exhaust the fuel supplies of the missiles coming after him. He said the time I have to save myself depends on how far the missile was fired at me and what kind of missile. My God, is this a brave man. Brave man, these pilots are as brave as can be. Still, he said in an interview on a clear sunny day, I can still feel a huge rush of adrenaline in my body. Because every fight is a fight, and every flight is a fight. 
Angeli graduated from the Kharkiv Air Force School after deciding to become a pilot as a teenager. Neither me nor my friends ever thought we would have to face a real war, he said, but that's not how it turned out. Angeli has moved his wife to a safer part of Ukraine, but she has not left the country, he said. She spends her days weaving homemade camouflage nets for the Ukrainian army. He never tells family members when he's going on duty, he said, calling only after returning from a night flight. They only have to use my skills to win, he said. My skills are better than the Russians, but on the other day, many of my friends, and even more experienced than me, are already dead. They need more jet fighters. They need more MiGs. 63% of the American people believe so as well. And that includes a majority, a good majority of Republicans. I want to go back to this Fox poll, just so you know you're not in the uh, minority as you would think, depending on who you're listening to and how much you're listening to. Um, see here, Mr. Producer, I'm pulling it up, looking for it. Oh, boy. 63%. Of the public says we should be doing more to help the Ukrainians. 76% say that they view Zelensky in a very positive light. 85% say Ukraine matters to the United States. What do you think of that? Well, I think they're right. Now... Let us, uh, let us dig a little bit more deeper into this. How about Republicans? And let's take a look at this as I pull it up. 82% are concerned about the invasion. 76% approve of Ukrainian President Zelensky, how he's responded. Uh, it's an issue Democrats and Republicans largely agree on. 90% of Democrats, 85% of Republicans think what happens in Ukraine makes a difference here at home. 8 in 10 Democrats and Republicans approve of Zelensky, and two-thirds in each party want to do more for Ukraine. There's almost no difference between the parties on this. Almost no difference, and, the, and it's overwhelming. So the nation is united in this. We have the outlanders. You hear some of them, you see some of them, you read some of them. They're the outliers. Some of them are Putinites, some of them are pacifists, some of them just legitimately oppose this. They look at Afghanistan and Iraq, and many of them are very young, and they see the whole world through Afghanistan and Iraq and those wars, uh, rather than through the bigger picture, the World War II and circumstances like that. Um, you don't hear a lot of novel thinking from most of these people. It's like, uh, why? Well, because we don't want a nuclear war. Will you send your kids? If we're going to watch the Ukrainian border, shouldn't we watch ours? And there's an answer to all that, because that's really silly. Well, we ought to watch our border. What does that have to do with the Ukrainian border? Nothing. So what's the point of that kind of uh, nonsense? We should be securing our border and helping the Ukrainians. Well, are you going to send your child? What kind of an argument is that? You're talking about national policy. I don't know. Is your kid a cop? Is your kid a firefighter? You're going to send your kid into a burning building? You're going to send. I mean, that's not the point of a military to project your own 
personal life on top of the military. You have a standing professional military. And should we get to a draft, then everybody's family will be affected by that. But until then, with an all-volunteer army, the overwhelming majority of Americans are not. Okay, Um, and what about this argument that uh, we could be causing nuclear war? We're not causing anything. We didn't invade anybody. We didn't threaten anybody. We've been extremely passive. Very passive. And the provocations, if any, that occurred here is a result of the passivity of the president who's in the Oval Office right now. The way he surrendered to the Afghans, that is the uh, Taliban, I should say. And the way he is surrendering and providing the Islamo-Nazi regime in Tehran with everything they want. Look, even before this election, I said that our enemies are rooting for Biden. Now they're rooting for him more than ever. More than ever. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Reminder, I'll be on Hannity tonight on Fox, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. We have James O'Keefe with us, a, uh, a brilliant young investigative reporter and organization that he's created, Project Veritas. James, um, seems like the government has been illegally, um, well, illegally tracking you guys. Explain to us what's going on here. Yes, Mark. This is a bombshell report. Microsoft Corporation legal documents released by Project Veritas reveal that uh, the Department of Justice filed a series of secret warrants and orders in order to spy on Project Veritas, and then they tried to gag order Microsoft from from talking about it. This is in in lieu of this Ashley Biden diary matter that uh, the FBI had raided me back in November, but and then the federal judge ordered a, a master over this issue. But now we've we've uncovered Microsoft Corporation. Our emails are housed Microsoft Outlook. The Department of Justice went to Microsoft, got my emails, and 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 asked Microsoft to keep quiet about it. And this goes back to January 2020. Eight months before we even were made aware of this diary. Now, let me ask you a question. Um, do you know to this day what emails were turned over to the government by Microsoft? Um, we don't know that. We we believe all of them. Um, mm-hmm. uh, they they had obtained all these emails, and again, eight months prior to us even learning about the diary and, and doing some reporting. Again, we didn't publish this Ashley Biden diary. I thought at the time I, I couldn't uh, corroborate it. But what's most troubling about this development, and this is an extraordinary series of events for the Department of Justice to spy on journalists, is that after the special master was appointed by this Article Three judge in New York in December, the Article Three judge cited journalistic privilege, First Amendment issues. Then the government went back to Microsoft and tried to get a continuance on this gag order. This is USC 2705 to prevent Microsoft from telling us, a journalism organization, that the government had seized our emails. So, Mark, apparently the the Department of Justice went behind the federal judge's back to spy on journalists. The only other precedent for this, uh, during the Trump administration, they tried to do this to Google, but they didn't try to gag Google so the New York Times could fight them. This is unprecedented. 
This is a fundamental abridgment of the First Amendment. We've never seen anything like it in modern history. And clearly, Project Veritas must be doing something right for them to talk it to me like this. And the thing is, to be perfectly honest with you, if you had published this diary, you still would have been on fairly firm footing because you didn't steal the diary. You were the recipient of the diary. Let me ask you a few more questions here, James, because this really is appalling. Do we know what entity within the Biden administration or within the government, I should say, has been involved in this? Uh, is it FBI? Is it the criminal division? Is it is the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Southern District? Who is it? It's the Southern District of New York, which is the federal jurisdiction of Southern New York State and New York City. We do not know who authorized this. For example, was it the Attorney General of the United States? The Attorney General of the United States, Merrick Garland, expressly forbids the execution of search warrants against journalists for obvious reasons. Journalists work with sources. If a source uh, obtains something improperly, the, the journalist still has a First Amendment right to publish what we're given, so long as we played no part in the acquiring of that document. And that's what, what happened here. We don't even think the diary was stolen. It appears to have not been. It appears to have been abandoned. But we still have a First Amendment right to look into the matter when someone sends us something. So they would never do this, of course, to the New York Times, Mark, to these other organizations. And they attack us for being, quote, non-journalists. In fact, the U.S. attorneys in the Southern District argued before the judge that we're not journalists. And the reasoning was that we don't get permission from the people that we report on which is an absurd thing to say, and it's, and, it, and it's exactly why Project Veritas exists, because we don't work in concert with the government. We investigate the government, and they at the New York Times and Washington Post oftentimes do work in concert with the government. So to answer your question, it's the Southern District. We don't know whether Washington Department of Justice authorized this. We don't know if it was someone just in New York City. But what's remarkable is that I don't think they ever anticipated us getting that special master, and especially two months ago in January, they went back to Microsoft and asked them to gag it. Microsoft wrote a motion trying to challenge it. The government backed down. This week, someone in Microsoft contacted me and said, James, this is happening. And, uh, and now we found out, Mark, this week, Uber Corporation also had this happen to them. So for all we know, they went to all of our, the Department of Justice went to all of our vendors and got everything, emails, texts, Uber, you name it. This is unbelievable. So you're going to go back to the master, and what are you going to ask the master? Well, Project Veritas uh, just filed a motion in court yesterday. We went to the federal judge because mm -hmm. they went to six magistrate judges, apparently behind the federal judge's back. But, but, well, many of this, much of this happened prior to the special master being appointed. But they went back to these magistrates in January, two months ago, after the special master had been appointed, and they asked to, for a continuance on this non-disclosure order, gagging these corporations. So we went, we're going back to the judge, and we're, we're asking them to, uh, to take a look at this and, and to um, immediately cease uh, doing what they're doing. We filed a motion yesterday. I made the motion public, um, and the uh, Southern District of New York has basically launched a retributive campaign that does violence to the First Amendment. And while this special master litigation proceeded, the government obviously misled the court by omission, failing to inform it, failing to inform us as journalists, 
and, and that the government already obtained the contents of privileged emails from us, including sources and donor information from our cloud. This is just such an egregious violation. It, it just does such damage to the First Amendment. Um, and, uh, and, the, and the government already had the opportunity to review Project Veritas's journalistic and attorney-client privileged materials um, even before they went through this process of the special master. We only have a minute, so if you don't mind, I'd like to hold you over. You've got sure. uh, sort of sort of two avenues of attack against you at the same time. You've got this New York Times activity, and you've got the government, even though there's an overlay. And uh, I assume they're on separate legal tracks. Is that correct? That is correct, although they often work in concert with each other. Right. And uh, when we come back, I'd like to know what's the status of the New York Times case. And I want to further pursue the egregious activity of the increasingly, I would call it this regime in Washington, D.C. We'll be right back with James O'Keefe, Project Veritas, who's on the front lines of fighting for our liberty. We'll be right back. Mark Levin, the great one. The great one, Mark Levin. Dial in now, 877-381-3811. James O'Keefe is my guest, Project Veritas. First of all, James, if people want to support your group, where do they go? Thank you, Mark. Uh, ProjectVeritas.com is our website. We're registered 501c3 with the IRS. Your donations are tax-deductible. Uh, also, Veritas Tips at ProtonMail. That's V-E-R-I-T-A-S Tips at ProtonMail.com. Obviously, we're talking about the FBI raiding us and the Department of Justice now issuing secret orders, secret warrants against our email vendors to spy on us. But, Mark, this has not deterred our sources. In fact, more people than ever are coming to us through ProtonMail, uh, including inside the, the Department of Defense when we broke that story two months ago on Anthony Fauci. But let us be clear. So far, federal law enforcement, Southern District of New York, likely the Public Integrity Section of the Criminal Division, and perhaps other aspects of the Department of Justice, have, uh, number one, uh, used SWAT to grab you and to grab information from you. Uh, and it relates to this diary of Biden's daughter, of which you a diary you did not use, uh, that's number one, and nor did you steal it. Uh, number two, you now know they have put out these secret warrants so that you can't challenge them in court uh, to Microsoft and maybe others, for all you know, to get emails of yours and your organizations and individuals in your organization uh, without your consent, without your knowledge, so you could challenge it. The reason for a subpoena is you could challenge a subpoena. So they use the secret warrant, as you call it, or as they call it, I suppose, to get this information. To this day, you don't know exactly what they took. Uh, and now you're back in federal court challenging that. And obviously you're being targeted. There's no question about it. Obviously they're trying to take you down and wear you out. And then on the other side, we have this New York Times case. Remind everybody what that is and where you are with that. Yes. Well, we sued the New York Times for defamation, Mark, uh, back last year. They said that we were deceptive and part of a coordinated disinformation campaign. All we did was, quote, 
a Minneapolis man on tape saying he was harvesting ballots. I quoted him saying this, and I said I was coordinated disinformation. I sued them for defamation, and I won a historic victory in that case. We got past motion to dismiss in New York Supreme Court. It's a very difficult hurdle to get past, as you all may know. I'm a public figure, and I have to prove malice. I proved it, at least the judge thought I did, to get that far because the New York Times defended itself in court by saying, Your Honor, it's just our opinion. And then the judge replied, But you put it in the first sentence of the news article in the A section of the New York Times. So we get past motion to dismiss. And then the FBI raids my home in November. And to remind your audience what happened is, within, within minutes of my being in handcuffs, federal agents put me in handcuffs. We published this video last week, Mark, on, online. So it's terrifying video, actually. It's, it's absolutely... It's violent what they did to, to me and my family. And they came in with a battering ram. They put me in cuffs at 6 a.m. on a Saturday. And they took my phones. Um, and, then, and then within minutes, I get a text message from a national security reporter at the New York Times who somehow knows the subject of the search warrant, knows all these intimate details. So the Southern District of New York, that's the federal jurisdiction in New York, the Department of Justice's United States attorneys there, are working in concert with New York Times national security reporters. And then, Mark, just in December, they published my attorney-client privileged memos. All of this, again, comes on the heels, we just found this out this week, that the Department of Justice issued secret warrants against Microsoft Corporation, we use Outlook, as well as, we believe, Uber Corporation, and God knows how many other vendors, and they're obtaining all of our private information. This is so unprecedented, it, and, and, and the New York Times has been, has been sort of working in concert with the Southern District, sort of, I guess their goal is to get me incarcerated. These are journalists at the New York Times, that's what they call themselves. They're angry that I'm suing them, and this is what happens in this country when, when you try to do the right thing, when you try to tell the truth try to hold people accountable. They want to destroy you, but we will not be destroyed. We will not be intimidated. I will not stop. I will not bear false witness. I will not. I'm an innocent man. I never break the law. And, and, and I hope that this, and I know that this will blow back in their faces, including, and, and by the way, God bless Microsoft. Uh, if you go to our website, you can read the motion they filed. They defended the First Amendment. They, they went after the government and, and the government backed down this week and, and and um, and these these mag orders, these 2705B secret warrants, are now public, thanks to Microsoft fighting the Department of Justice here. Now this has to cost some money to your organization and for you. How do you raise millions, this money? Millions, millions. Uh, how, how do, do I raise the money? We we yeah. we but we we have tens of thousands of do- small donors, many of which listen to this program and. And, and uh, um, I, I don't take it for granted. By the grace of God and the hard work of my employees, we just work as hard as we can raising money. But we don't, we, we don't have a commercial imperative. We have no advertising. We're, we're not for hire. We're, we're a nonprofit investigative news organization. And the legal bills are in the millions. And obviously that's probably one of their objectives is to wear you down and wear you out. But we've never really lost the, the, this litigation fight, we, and, and we're continuing to win. And, and Mark, the question is, does this federal judge, uh, Annalisa Torres is her name, in the Southern District, who appointed the special master, that's a legal term, special overseer because of journalistic privilege and First Amendment privilege in this case, she appointed a special master over the FBI, 
what is going to be the consequence for these prosecutors going behind her back and doing secret spying on us? There, there, I think there will be. I think that she's not going to like that. And, um, and we hope that there is going to be a consequence. But most people fold in this life. Most people don't keep going. Most people get worn out, get, you know, get bankrupted by this, and we refuse to be defeated, and we depend upon your audience to support us at ProjectVeritas.com. ProjectVeritas.com, Mr. Producer, let's slap that up on my social sites, as, uh, as limited as they are. That's ProjectVeritas.com, America. Uh, let's also put it on, uh, at least for the evening, on the Mothership website, MarkLevinShow.com, where a lot of people do go. And, of course, people also hear this on my podcast. That's ProjectVeritas.com. What's being done here is a disgusting disgrace, and these people need to be exposed, and we need to make sure that you have the funds uh, to continue to defend yourself and pursue them. So I would encourage all of you to to provide a tax-exempt or a tax-deductible, better yet, a tax-deductible contribution to Project Veritas. Okay, James, keep us informed on both fronts, okay? Thank you, thank you, Mark, and uh, God bless all of you, and uh, stay tuned. All right, God bless you, too. In America, did you ever think you'd see anything like this? It's really, it's just shocking. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, emergency personnel. We salute all of our trucker friends and our freedom fighter friends in Ukraine. God bless you all. See you tomorrow. See you on Hannity in 30 minutes. Take care.